Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome to the Build Business Acumen Podcast, where we deliver practical knowledge and powerful guidance. Here is your futuristic host, Nathaniel Skula. Nicholas Babin is an agile senior executive with over 30 years international multilingual and multicultural experience, a strong leader with working and living experiences in North America, the UK, France, Benelux, Germany, Japan and China. He has a proven track record in marketing, sales, communication and digital transformation, management experience of all European East and West countries, set up and management of international teams and startups, Europe, US and Japan, IPO experience on the NASDAQ and on NYSE, Alternext, Paris, digital transformation of companies and factories worldwide, AI and robotic experience since 1996, fundraising experience, more than five, M&A experience, international keynote speaker on innovation, e-health, digital and robotics. Now, let's dig in to this exciting, informative episode. Well, today it's really nice to be joined by Nicholas Babin. Hopefully I've pronounced your last name correctly. Yes, you have. Brilliant. (laughs) So you're over in France, right? Yes, I'm in Bordeaux, France. Fantastic. Fantastic. So we're going to first talk about gamification and data and technology would be our second second topic. And um, I'm a big gamification fan, actually, I must admit. But... For all the people out there that don't know, what, what actually is gamification, Nicholas? All right, so there's an official, I would say, definition that came from Gabe Zickerman, a guy who started to work on gamification early, 19, uh, early 2000, I would say. And uh, he says the gamification is the process of using game thinking and game mechanics to engage users and solve problems. So that, that's, that's the official definition. To me, um, we could say also, it's the integration of the mechanics that make game funds fun and absorbing into non-game platforms and experience in order to improve engagement and participation because engagement is the key about gamification. Gamification is engagement and how can we improve engagement for people? Yeah, it's an interesting, it's an interesting topic. I mean, I, I, I used to run a lot of leaderboards, which were quite a lot of fun, but it's it's very interesting because some people are completely demotivated by gamification. Others are absolutely motivated. Some people are just sort of in between, aren't they? But it's very difficult to actually engage the people that are just see everyone else miles ahead of them. And they get kind of stuck and they're like, oh, look at him. I'm never going to catch him or her, you know, and. And I think I've, I've seen that because I used to run some, some leaderboards when I used to do mm-hmm. events using Twitter hashtag. I used to create a leaderboard 
and I would, you know, and I would promote it and I would use the tweet out function and promote all these people and have it on my website to drive web clicks. And, you know, because using it in that way, it delivers a tangible return in terms of like the clicks through to your website, targeted traffic and this sort of stuff. But, but, you know, I'm sure we can kind of get into that uh, in a minute, but why did you start using gamification in the first place? So um, gamification came to me a little bit naturally, if I could say. I, I used to work for Sony for about 15 years. So PlayStation, I was in charge of marketing, communication. And, um, and I, I, I kept thinking, like, you know, you go into a shop, any type of shop that sells television, for example, and you have Samsung brand, you have LG brand, you have Sony brand, you have all the different type of brands. And you're looking at all these televisions. And I, think, I kept thinking, how could people decide to go for the Sony brand, obviously being Sony being my employer at the time. And so it was, um, it was just as, as we were also at the same time launching PlayStation games and realizing, you know, like when we were trying the games, you would, could spend two hours and then uh, at the end thinking, oh, damn, it's already been two hours. How, how is that possible? You know, I didn't see time fly. And I was thinking that there's a link between the, uh, the, 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 the fact that you spend two hours and, and just enjoy yourself and feel in a world that is just like, you know, perfect. And you're just capable of listening to messages that come from the games or, or playing with people abroad on the other side of the world. And so I thought, how can we put the two together? So at the time it was not called gamification. We we're talking about 2004. So it was really, I, nobody knew about uh, gamification. And um, so my thinking was to say, well, maybe I should either engage because the only link for from the, the the person's wallet to the television was the fact that the person will be engaged by the the salesperson in the shop. So I was thinking, how can I engage the salespeople in a way that's fun to them, and so they could just do the same thing with their customers? And that's how we started the first gamification campaigns. I would say, quote unquote, uh, by engaging more. And not not only talking about you know money or which uh, which would be extrinsic motivation, but more about intrinsic motivation, which is the autonomy, the belonging, the mastery, the power, the fun, the love, all these very strong emotions that uh, that that makes gamification work. If you're talking more about badges, because a lot of people tell me over the years, oh yeah, gamification is only about badger, and you have badge fatigues and all this, which is absolutely true because you get bored with uh, extrinsic uh, motivation. So it was really trying to, 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 to engage more and to make people more like the brand. So, you know, when somebody would face a Sony TV, would think, oh, wow, I really enjoyed the brand Sony. The latest commercials that Sony have put out, they, they were really good. They really talked to me. And so that's the reason why you would go for a Sony TV. And that's how I started to work on it. And as I love gaming, and I love marketing. That's that's basically how I got uh, I got involved with gamification. Right. So what's so the actual purpose of gamification is is to engage with whomever. It could be internally within the business, right, or it could be externally to to drive a desired action. Is that a fair comment? Do you think? What's the purpose of gamification? Was Again, gamification is all about engagement and to ensure that any type of activity is linked with engagement, obviously, and you want people to be engaged. 
I, I have examples of gamification campaigns that um, work on, on, on situations that you would not believe. For example, uh, cancer treatment. My family has been hit with, with cancer. And uh, so I did a lot of research to, uh, to see how, uh, how um, cancer patients could be more engaged and understand better how their treatment works. And I found this, um, this game that you play with a nanobot. You would go around, you know, shooting cancer cells with chemo weapons. So uh, or kids would go around uh, doing that. So it, you were saying about your family uh, having, having some issues, unfortunately, with, with cancer and how you come up with a great idea to gamify the cure, right? Uh, well, the solution. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it was not my idea, but I found the idea on the web <laughs> uh, about uh, learning how to, um, to cope with, with the disease and learning how to cope with the uh, with the um, with chemo going around for the disease, so it was, it, this, the game I found was a game that was uh, really for teenagers, uh, and uh, they had a nanobot called Rory, and uh, Rory would go around the room and would shoot at cancer cells using chemo weapons. It, really, that game helped. Well, first to to make sure that cancer was not anymore uh, taboo. I mean, you know, obviously. The, uh, we were we were we had that problem, so we had to deal with it. But um, for children, it was really to explain how chemo worked and what the impact on their body was. And again, because it was a game, so then it was more. Uh, you, you could, I mean, basically, what I'm trying to say is that it was not as as difficult to to deal with as if it had been, um, you know, a, any type of books that you have to read about chemo and and about cancer. But I thought the fact that you can you know, use gamification for this type um, of, of purpose means that you can use it for pretty much everything because then gamification helps you engage, learn, understand, and cope with, with situations that are difficult, but because they are put as a game, uh, relate also to fun. And, and, and that game apparently had a lot of success. And I'm, I'm wondering why I haven't seen much more of it uh, because it was back in uh, 2010 that I've, I've read about it and I've seen the game on the web. But uh, these are things that you could find in pediatric wards, for example, and that could help uh, children that have to stay in hospitals that, you know, then they, they could just minimize the impact of their disease. Wow. That's that. Yeah, that's that's really quite smart, actually, because children are children more susceptible to gamification, do you think, then? Are they are the children sort of more into uh, it? Uh, well, I would say, yes, they are. Uh, they are definitely more involved with gamification because they they play a lot. But I would say that the whole population is uh, um, is involved with gamification. Everybody plays. I mean, game comes from uh, you know way before uh, or at the time of the dinosaurs. When, uh, when so it comes before culture because when you had a mother dinosaur, she would teach her uh, cubs to uh, to play, uh, and so at least they will learn how to to hunt. Uh, you, you, we have examples also of uh, it, it's not a game, it's not fun. But uh, when Taylor uh, in eighteen ninety introduced the bonuses and awards in the reform factory, uh, that's kind of also type of gamification, right? Right. I'm oh, sorry. Okay. <laughs> uh, so, so it's it's you know 
this type of rewards and uh, and bonuses has been has been used for quite a long time. I mean, you always had the the carrot. Uh, uh, Mary Poppins. I mean, if I can go and have many, many examples because that's one of my passions. So, but Mary Poppins with the sugar principle, you know, the sugar makes the medicine go down. That that's type of gamification as well because medicine is not good. It's not fun. Uh, but if you make it fun next to it with with a, a, fo- a spoon full of sugar, then that's it. That Gabe Zickerman mentioned that uh, at uh, at. Um, uh, conference that I went to in New York uh, a while back, and and it's true when you think about it. You know, we've all, all always had that around us. So children are definitely uh, more inclined uh, to react better to gamification, but adults are as well. Even older people who say, "Oh, I never play," well, this is not true. You know, if they do crosswords, that's a play. That's a game. Sorry. Uh, if uh, so, anybody would play and anybody would be sensitive to uh, game mechanics. It's just what's very important when you do a, a gamification campaign is to find the right mechanics for the right people at the right time. And that's crucial, but that's pretty much marketing. Yes, exactly, exactly, yeah. So you've, you've pretty much answered how you can use it. I mean, it, it, it motivates people to do something, right? Like that's, that's, that's pretty much pretty much what it is yeah. isn't it yeah yep. and yeah absolutely yeah so in the beginning you decide on what sort of behavior you want to encourage and then you find the right game to encourage that behavior right and that could be like social sharing within IBM for example or you know encouraging the staff or oh no problem so i'll i'll start again so that could be for example working within a corporation and actually getting getting those people to share particular content just to wrap up right um on that particular point it's really just designing the outcome you want Mm -hmm. deciding on the outcome you want designing the game to encourage behavior towards that outcome so it's very very simple it's it's just marketing right but gamifying behavior so it could be social sharing within a corporation encouraging internal stakeholders to share content externally it could be it could be external uh, influencers and encouraging them to share content externally or or anything really right so which which area is best gamification i would answer all of them seriously because uh, when i see when with my customers i use gamification for hr uh how to motivate and uh, get uh, employees more productive i use gamification for sales and that's one of the points as well salesforce.com the big crm tool is now has now a module with uh, gamification uh, inside because what's the biggest challenge for crm tools is to ensure that all data is entered regularly and proficiently. Well, gamification is that. You know, you motivate salespeople to uh, win with a leaderboard, for example, and you guys in the UK have great leaderboard companies, especially one, uh, as you know it. And and, and so you just motivate them by creating healthy competition. And that's gamification because it's 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 fun. 
Uh, it's like, well, yeah, I'm, you know, five points behind you, but I'm going to get you, you know, this type of attitude that you want to get. So then marketing can also use gamification because that's how they're going to get the motivation from their customers, prospects, or the, the link between the brand and the, and, and, and the user of the brand. Of the brand. Um, you're going to use it in finance to make sure, again, that, uh, you know, finance reports are boring. I mean, I'm sorry to say, but it's very difficult to read them. Uh, here with gamification, you can make them a little bit more attractive. You can make people understand them better. Um, so pretty much every, I mean, you're talking about uh, uh, um, in a factory. Uh, so uh, for people to get motivated to be more productive, they can also, you can also use, for example, big boards uh, in the factory where you see where you are at. You've, today you've created 20 phones, uh, your neighbor has done 25, you know, these type of things. So, so there's so many ways of motivating people in a fun way and not, and so it's not only about money and yeah, well, not only in the factory, but in 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 your overall company. Yeah. So um, so even in factories, people can be more motivated using gamification, and you know, uh, uh, being uh, being on a in a way that uh, they will either uh, build uh, faster products or they will uh, be more engaged. They will have a better time doing so. And so it's overall company basically. It's not only about money or giving more money for people to get more engaged because this doesn't work. At, at the end, you'll you get tired and, uh, uh, and, and it doesn't work. Whereas, um, if, you, if you really work on the values of a company or of the employees that you have, uh, then gamification can be really um, uh, efficient. And that, that's why we're always trying to do when we do a gamification campaign. Right. Right. So what, what results can you see with gamification? So the, the, the results that I have seen uh, is basically uh, if, if normally for a marketing campaign, you see a, a return investment of about 10, 12 percent, which is extremely good. Uh, but, you know, you have to spend a lot of money uh, for that. In a gamification campaign, I, re I usually see... Um, around 20, 25% of, uh, of return of, on the campaign. Uh, the, because you're going to work with the, the four principles, which are status, access, um, uh, power, and, and price, which uh, is, is the, the, where it's the most sticky uh, is, is basically the status. You give a status to somebody, and the status doesn't cost much to the company. And at the end, at the end, you have the price, which the prices could be a TV, could be a car, whatever. This is very expensive. Uh, you'll probably not remember six months down the line what kind of campaign the person has done. So if you use this SAPP uh, practice, which also I think I believe came from Gabe Zickerman, but is is very is very good because in in marketing it's something that you can really follow. And uh, then your return investment is is extremely high because it doesn't cost much to say to somebody your gold, your silver, your bronze, SAPP policies, if I could say, with S with status, A, which is access, uh, P, which is the, the, the power, and the second P is the, the price. So the status is what I mentioned with the, the, the gold, silver, or, or, um, or bronze status that you can find in uh, any uh, British Airways, for example, 
plan, you know, any type of, of loyalty type of, uh, of uh, program, then, then that's the status. The status, the beauty of the status is the fact that it doesn't cost anything for you to make somebody become a, uh, a platinum or gold member. Uh, it's very sticky because the person is proud of, being, of having that status. And, uh, and, and, and they will remember the campaign that make them become uh, bronze or, or, or whatever uh, they have become. The, the access is, yeah. again, what you can see at the airports when you have access to a lounge, when you have access to any VIP uh, treatment. For example, when you check in, you have the red carpet treatment when you are, uh, when you are gold or, or platinum. Again, you know, it costs a little bit more money because this time they have to have access to something special. If it's a lounge, they have access to drinks and, and food. If it's uh, the red carpet, then uh, obviously, uh, you know, you have to have a, a dedicated staff for it. But it's, it's not as expensive as, for example, the last one, which we'll see in a minute. The, the third one is the power. You give more power to people. You become gold and, for example, you'll be, able, you'll be invited to a, a premiere uh, of our of our products, um, you'll you'll be able to get a price, special prices uh, before anybody else. You know this type of of power that you can give to your customers or prospects. And the last one is price, which I mentioned is when you get to people say you use our system, use our come to our to our um, website or whatever, do this survey, and uh, we will give you a TV or we'll give you a car or we'll you know we'll give a car to the first person who does it whatever you want to put as as a mechanic so by using these four s a p p basically it doesn't cost much if you especially if you focus on status and access you you can have a little bit of cost when you you announce it and you you talk about the you, you communicate around it but it's it's where you can see really the best type of results and returns on investment because again it's very, it's very powerful it's it's efficient uh, and it doesn't cost much right so you can use this in any department in any business in in well marketing or any other department right absolutely any department in any company absolutely yeah 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 that's that's uh, that's really interesting really interesting so could gamification be misused do you think nicholas yes i do believe uh gamification uh, there, there's a risk of course a risk of people cheating but uh to me the risks are um the first one is rewards not equivalent to achievements meaning um you have to work really hard to get a uh, peanut <laughs> just as a joke but uh you know you basically need to feel that whatever you do um you're going to get the right the right type of achievement and so that's important then number two when you do a gamification campaign you need to be careful that you're not uh, that's not limit you don't have a limited participation bandwidth right meaning uh you don't have enough people playing so like for example if you try to get uh a survey out and uh, you only get 10 people to participate then it's not relevant for your for for what you're trying to do uh i mentioned about cheating so that's what we mean by unintended consequences gaming the system uh and i've seen it uh especially and sometimes you've seen it in in very small campaigns yeah and uh, and people try to win and we were very surprised because the 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 the, yeah, the price or the the the, the what, what people could get was not okay. that big. And so I was really surprised, but people can cheat anywhere. So you need to be very careful about that. 
And as I mentioned at the beginning of this, of this podcast, is making sure that you don't undermine intrinsic values and interfere with social norms. Meaning, you know, you, you, have, you have social norms and you need to be very careful that the, the campaign follows the norms because uh, it's, it's really important or, um, or else pretty much. So, uh, yes, gamification needs, you know, not everyone can just say, I'm going to do a gamification campaign. You need really to have a, a good marketing executive who's going to think about all this, but not only a marketing executive, also somebody who has gaming experience um, and who has, uh, you know, user experience uh, using this, this type of, uh, of uh, mechanics. Right. Very interesting. So could you, could you give us some examples of gamification that you've used in the past? Um, yes, sure. I've, I've used gamification to acquire new customers and prospects. For example, in France, with a game where um, pregnant ladies would go and, and, and win a, a status with a brand called Verbaudet. It was really interesting because the game was about getting, gathering information, obviously, about the, the, the pregnant lady, but also uh, making her play. And so you would have a pregnant lady on a, on a, on a chair, and, uh, and then the game would be to, to see what, what's uh, basically inside her, her, her belly, if I could say. Uh, so they, they would use uh, the uh, medical, make, um, we, we had designed a medical uh, environment and uh, the ladies would be able to, to play around and, and see around and see what their babies would be in terms of size, in terms of at what months, you know, the, the, the lady would have to enter, I'm pregnant from what date, then the system automatically would know what size normally the baby would be, then the lady would be able to see her baby using a, a scan, you know, a medical device that would show her what the baby would look like. So th this one worked really well because after that we could offer also or, or, or make some suggestions about clothes for the baby. You know, the, the baby would come in the next two months or maybe in two months it's going to be uh, winter. So in the winter you should have this type of clothes for the baby to avoid the baby to be, to be cold, this type, of, this type of thing. So that, that was one of the example I mentioned to you about the other example uh, I used with, uh, with the TVs when I was Sony and, uh, and we used that. There are many, uh, many other examples. So you, could, you can gamify anything. Basically, you can have campaigns about increasing traffic and communicate on products, uh, which, I did, uh, which I did regularly. You can uh, also, uh, for a brand called Mad Clothes, uh, we did uh, Be the Buyer. And again, uh, so the, the clothes will be uh, presented to, to you and uh, using uh, augmented reality, you can see what it would look like in the clothes. I mean, there's so many examples that, that you could use that, uh, as I said, I could talk for hours. So what are the pros and cons of gamification? So the pros is really focusing on engagement. That's, uh, that's to me, the best way of uh, engaging, uh, engaging people. It's, it's extremely important for any type of activity, as, as we mentioned. So it's, it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's extremely important. The cons, again, as we mentioned, you could have uh, people obviously gaming the system, but I'm very concerned because I see a lot of people saying, oh, gamification is only about badges and points. And actually extrinsic, extrinsic sorry, motivation, like the carrot and stick approach is not sustainable. You have the badge fatigue. It's, uh, it's, it's really will not work. So it's really important that these cons, you know, are avoided and making sure that at least, you know, 
you focus more on the meaning of a, of a campaign or meaning of a, of a brand, the learning around the brand, what you can learn, what, what you need to, how you can grow with that, the self-knowledge, uh, the fun, you know, the power, the mastery, the belonging, the autonomy. All these points are extremely important to make sure that at least a gamification campaign uh, is, is, is transforming into a positive experience. So you have pros, you have cons, uh, but I believe that if you do it w well, um, then the pros are definitely bigger than the cons. Yeah, it sounds like that from the return on investment. So could you find gamification in everyday online tools? Yes, uh, today more and more companies uh, are investing in uh, gamification. It's true more uh, Anglo-Saxon companies than, than the rest of the world. But uh, for example, today I mentioned before, Salesforce.com uh, is now using gamification, um, and uh, and and you can you have a whole module based on that, and so it's it's part of the uh, of the overall product. Uh, there is a company in the U.S. called Badgeville, which was then uh, bought by SAP uh, not a long time ago, wow. and uh, SAP now, so Badgeville was basically a, a gamification platform company, so. Oh, yes. You've seen that. Okay. You have two big companies in the U.S., Badgeville and Bunchball. Badgeville now is SAP. Uh, and so when you think about SAP as a huge brand and a huge company with some big product, mm -hmm. using now gamification in pretty much all of their products as well. So it's, it's, it's becoming more and more. And, and, and it's true that because of now what you can see with the um, generation, uh, I call them the generation G, P, uh, young kid, well, not young kid, but born around the year 2000. Mm -hmm. uh, so generation G for Google or gamification, that's what I like to say. <laughs> uh, but this first generation, they grew up with video games. They're getting to the positions now or entering the market, uh, the, the work market. And, you know, they are replacing the baby boomers, uh, at least my, my generation. And for the first time, um, you know, as they grow up with, the, with video games, they'll be making important decisions around society, policies, right. education, and, and so on. And uh, it's not the kind of audience that we had in mind when, when we were talking about games, but this is the reality. These people now are going to use gamification because they were raised with um, game consoles. Some of them even uh, were taught to read using a, a game console. So the game mechanic is essential to them. Right. And that's why gamification is going to be seen more and more with everyday tools. And that's why, um, you know, today SAP, Salesforce, all the big companies are, are getting involved in it. Hmm, very interesting. Yeah, I've seen it. I use a Spanish app for learning Spanish and, yeah. and, and it, it's, it's fantastic. They gamify that as well. And it really yeah. motivates you. I've, I've had a break because I've been too busy with, with um, recording content, but it's 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 amazing how it actually encourages you to do things. Yes, absolutely. E-education, yeah. e-health, any type of activity today yeah, will be yeah. able to, uh, to use gamification because gamification is not only about also mechanics. It's also about uh, ga adding game like um, um, game aesthetics around around an application or something like that. So, for example, for an older person or even somebody like me. Um, you will be more sensitive to to something that comes and that's easier to use and that has great colors and things like that. That's part of the gamification as well. Right. Fantastic. Well, that's really, really useful. So uh, I think we're going to move on and, and talk about 
data and technology. So okay. it's it's a big, big, big topic, right? Yes. And you know, I've got a few a few questions here that we that we've sort of prepared. So with data and technology, are we talking online or offline data? So to me, we're talking about both uh, online and offline because today um, data is available everywhere you go. For example, uh, you go from one place to another, you have GPS that tracks us, mobile phone that tracks you. Uh, you go, we use a connected device, you leave a trace avec, with Internet of Things. You buy online, you leave a trace, we answer an email, you leave a trace. But even if you, um, if you move from one place to another and you don't use GPS or anything and, and your phone is off, <laughs> uh, so a lot of if, if, if. But once you arrive at, uh, at the new place, you, you're going to get, you're going to be able to use offline data. And it's the combination of online and offline that's going to make very, very powerful way of, of analyzing all the data. Yeah, I mean, the, the, it's a ridiculous figure. The amount of data that's being produced every day is like something, it's just ridiculous, isn't it? Like we're drowning yeah. in this in this data. But that's like another, that's a whole conversation on its own. <laughs> But yes, absolutely. No, absolutely. It's massive, isn't it? But so what is open data? So open data is uh, what governments are putting, uh, are, are developing these days uh, regarding administrative data being available for everyone. So for example, if you want to know how many books are in your library or your, your public library in your, in your town, in your town uh, or if you want to know uh, how many... Um, Red lights, or uh, how many traffic lights are are involved, and oh, how many how many accidents are involved around traffic lights, or whatever whatever information that is collected today by your government, according to European laws yeah. at least, is uh, needs to be available uh, on uh, to to anyone. So that's why open data uh, is very important because um, you now have access to online, offline, open. All, all this type of information that before nobody had, had a clue about. And so you can make, you know, any type of new application, any type of new disruptive tool using all this data. Wow, that's quite interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's it's very interesting what they're doing over in New York in, in, in the city with data. I, I, heard, I heard that actually the New York City government, if you want to open a retail outlet, they will actually help you to choose a retail outlet based upon the data source that they have on that particular out, outlet. So that store, for example, will have, you know, a, a certain number of people going past, but they will also know who, what, who those people are demographic wise. And if there's another coffee shop, for example, that say you're opening a coffee shop, if there's another coffee shop yeah. within a, a short distance, how, yeah. you know, that might not be the right outlet for your, for your business. So that's quite interesting. I find it very interesting in how it can actually affect business. So what, what marketing techniques use data then, uh, Nicholas? So we're, we're not going to go back to gamification, but obviously gamification uh, use, use data. Uh, marketing techniques that use data is, is really what we call predictive analytics. Um, today, uh, you know, we've gone from uh, uh, overall... Um, marketing, which is only for, for mass marketing into a personalized marketing. When you have such a big amount of data, as you mentioned before, which is absolutely unbelievable, 
the, um, the, the, the marketing will be able to use the past, get some artificially intelligent um, uh, programs around it, and being able to then uh, calculate what's going to happen in, in, you know, uh, in the future or very, it could be the, tomorrow, it could be in a month, it could be, it could be in a year. And it's based on everything. And this is why I wanted to, to mention about open data because open data can also obviously have an impact on that. But the marketing techniques that really important in this is really, is really this, this predictive, which will allow companies to predict when customers will need their product, what type of product they will need, what kind of price they will need. Uh, we will be able to make a link because open data is also about weather data. So whether that day was really rainy uh, and we saw that uh, based on the rain and uh, based on the fact that it was the fall uh, season, uh, then we were able to sell more of these trousers or more of these uh, glasses or whatever. So this is where marketing is going to play a, a role and a, a much bigger role than, than it is today because today marketing or today and uh, until the last five years, marketing was about uh, guessing what the market will, will like, uh, what people would like. Uh, whereas here, we're going to be able to uh, be much, much more precise about market needs and about, uh, about product development. So at least you won't get any more issues around providing the right number of products because that's also an, a big a big problem when you're a factory or or when you um or when you you, you try to plan ahead of of uh, what the what you need to order and then, so here the, the the marketing techniques that will basically be the the most important uh, for, for this the use of data to me is predictive yeah yeah no i agree 100 percent. all of that all of that is is so so interesting for businesses and and also for for the entire supply chain when you look at the food supply chain i mean i think that they're saying that the food supply chain will benefit from like a 15 percent reduction in costs which is fascinating because it means that it means that they'll be able to provide uh, let me how do i put this provide uh, information on you know how much water the crop needs which part of the field that needs uh, vitamins and minerals through fertilizers etc etc and 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 all of that adds up to the consumer benefiting and also you know we we will be able to perhaps not solve the homelessness problem and the and the hunger problem in the world but we will be able to do a lot more to help uh, the the needy you know and that's that's yeah. really good absolutely we're going to be able to optimize the resources and that's yeah. the key that's yeah. the key is this the new uh, new data approach absolutely yeah so we sort of talked around around it but how how can data and technology go together then so technology is fed with data um, so technology had to evolve in order for data to become so important so for example and we'll talk about that uh, just after, I, I believe, or a little bit later on. But like big data and the, all these type of technology have, uh, were invented because data became so important. And people started to realize, we've always known that data was important. But people started to realize that uh, data had as a value, but it's much, much more than we ever thought. 
you know, data has value because we know how many customers we have. Well, that, that, yeah, that's great. It's really important to have that. But as you mentioned, you know, the optimization of resources, the make, making sure that at least we don't throw away anything anymore, that we don't, you know, that we, everything is done uh, in, in, a, in a very uh, professional and efficient way. It can only be done with the, the technology and data going together. So that's why it's important to, to mention that is today, because of all the disruption that we've seen with uh, startups and with all the, the disruptive approaches that we've seen, we are capable of getting something that is so powerful. And on top of it, if you add the AI uh, angle around it, yeah. artificial intelligence angle around it, then obviously you're going to get something much better. Yeah, that, yeah. That's, so, that's what so with 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 AI using data, how 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 does that kind of work? So basically, you will get data, which I would say is is a fact. And what I mean by AI, I want to be be very clear because I know a lot of people are scared of artificial intelligence. I'm not talking about replacing human. I'm talking about human augmented. Yeah, it's not my it's not my sentence. It's something that uh, that's out there and has been out there for a while. But it's basically being able to uh, allow human to uh, make better decisions uh, based on a lot of data than alone we would not be able to to base our decisions on. I'm talking about, like for example, a doctor uh, or a surgeon being able to look at all the possibilities, you know, with factual data, but also with a, a, an algorithm around it, with uh, which is uh, artificially intelligent. And that algorithm will be able to show him all the different options. And then at the end, we always need the human to make a decision. Yeah. But at least the human will make a decision, a better decision, because he will have more information uh, and, and will be able to, to process more information. And that's what I mean by, you know, AI using data is the more data we have, the better AI is going to be. And it's the same thing today when we see with Google, when you use Gmail or anything, the more you use it, the more precise it becomes. Now, I pretty much all my replies on Gmail, I only use the, the AI-powered um, algorithm that uh, Google offers me. So it's, and it's becoming so clear, and, and it really matches what I like to do and, how we, and the words I like to use. So yeah. it's becoming really good, and I've been using Gmail for years and years, but I find it now extremely powerful and it's helping me, you know, rather than writing an email that's gonna take even one minute, it takes me 10 seconds and then I can do, I can do uh, the, the, the rest 50 seconds, I can do something better or I can, I can spend it uh, in a better way. Yeah, I mean, it goes, back, it goes back to what they said about the industrial revolution and, and actually we are in the industrial revolution and we're just, we're just starting to see the benefits really in terms yeah. of our working Hours. I mean, you're in France and they have a 35-hour working week. I mean, wow, I'd love one of those. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest with you. I, yeah, uh, you too. I, I, yeah, I don't, I'm, well, it's because I used, I used to work in the UK, so probably that's why, but I've never, I've never had 35 hours. <laughs> no, but they, but they don't they like lock you up or something if you work more than 30 hours? <laughs> you're right. <laughs> <laughs> I think yeah. that's brilliant. I think that's absolutely brilliant. <laughs> but... Um, so, so really, it's about making sure that the, the data that you're collecting is, is, is very good quality and, yes. and knowing what you want that data for and actually just, and also being careful with, with that data as well. I mean, security is another big topic we're not going to go into 
uh, right now. But so what is predictive analytics then, um, Nicholas? Yeah, so as I just mentioned, predictive analytics is um, the use of factual data that is collected through open data, through any, anything um, that basically you put in, in or that any company will, uh, will collect. So talking about data coming from finance, from HR, from sales, from marketing. You know, all these companies used to have data that were just siloed. One area uh, for for and and not every every type of departments will basically share their data. Mm-hmm. Here we're talking about getting all the data together. So that's that's uh, factual data, historical data, that's data that has gone through, and analyzing it around some very powerful algorithm to ensure that at least you predict what's going to happen. In your in in your business, so predictive analytics cannot happen for a startup that's just been around for six months, for example. I mean, they guess, I guess, uh, but in terms of uh, in terms of big companies that've been around for a long time and want to transform their business, and that's why we talk about digital transformation, is using the data that's been available for years and years and years, and making sure that at least behind it we put some some value which means like, okay, I want to analyze every January uh, what kind of sales we've done. Do, do we have a plan that makes sense in the sense that is it pretty much every, every January, is it pretty much always the same, same amount, same type of products to be sold? What do the salespeople do in January? What do marketing people do in January? Do we have a lot of people who are sick in January? You know, all this type of information that every company has. I mean, even like what time do people come in the office in January because you, you badge. So you get all this type of information and then you think about what you want to see next January, the following January and everything. And then you put in place based on data, a strategy saying, okay, I see that every January uh, my staff is, uh, has the flu, just uh, something out of um, just uh, thinking about it. <laughs> uh, my staff has the flu every January and I have a very high percentage of people not being around. Well, then guess what? Next January, I'm going to put in place a, a flu vaccination program. Right. You see, so this type of information, I mean, obviously, this is very simple, what I just said, and it could go much, much further down in terms of analysis. But here is to make sure that everybody understands that now that every single department will be sharing that data, then the, 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 the CEO, the head of HR, whoever would be able to make a decision based on, on, on data that has been used and that is, you know, uh, looking forward uh, yeah. to, to what, what you want. Yeah, and, and you can also plug in social media data, weather data, everything Absolutely. else, which Absolutely. which is going to help you to actually understand what, you know, to predict what you need to buy, your resources you need to allocate to whichever department actually needs the information. And yeah, I think it's I think it's fantastically interesting. Well, I have I also have another example actually of a of a customer that uh, I've helped uh, doing a digital transformation mm-hmm. in HR. Uh, we were able to analyze the uh, data coming from uh, social networks, like for example, mainly LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. And looking at looking at that, we were able to tell when people would come in. So number one. You can say before the interview uh, what people have done in the past and what people have said about them, which company they worked for, everything to make sure at least their CVs are, are, are in order. But 
one person, one HR director that I worked with was telling me that it's so powerful is that now we know before even the person knows when they're going to get bored in their job wow. because we've analyzed all their data onto LinkedIn and realized that, and I'm saying, I'm sorry, it's, it's, it's not the exact the, the truth here, but I'm just giving an example. So they say, for example, in three years time, we know that this person is going to get bored. So we're going to put a career, in, uh, a career path in, in, in for him or her saying that, you know, in the next two years, we're going to train them to do something else. Mm. So before even the person is bored, because you can see trends like this, you can see people, you know, they, they leave jobs after two years, after three years, after, and, and normally it repeats itself. Mm. So with this predictive analytics, you plan ahead and you make sure at least, or even if you don't want this person to, to, to change jobs after three years, but you start talking to them and say, you know, is there anything you would like us to change in or, uh, can, can we add some more responsibilities to you? I mean, whatever, in order to make sure that at least that the person would will stay and will not leave the company after three years. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and just tweak tweak what's going on to suit them so you retain exactly. them for longer. Yeah, uh, that's so, even then. Yeah. So, what is big data, and how can anyone? use it so big data is a, a, a big database uh, basically it's a, so if, a little bit technology it's a non-structured data what we call normally new, no sql for not only sql i mean because databases normal databases if i could call them normal or sql base which is a sequences mm -hmm. um, and here there are no sql uh, databases which means that you can enter the, the information and the amount, the huge amount of data. I mean, and there's no limit to it. Well, technology is a limit, but I, I think it's getting, it's getting really with no limit. So you're getting a lot of data into the uh, NoSQL database, and then you structure it in order to get, um, to get the analysis that you want. So predictive analysis, AI analysis, any type of analysis, you get it out uh, in, a, in a form with clusters in general, uh, and, and, and so you, you start doing all the big analysis like this. That's why it's called big data. It's because the amount of data is enormous compared to what we used to be able to do. So that, that big data can come from any, how do I put this, any activity. So it could be from an Internet of Things sensor that, 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 Absolutely. that pings your router that then gathers data, or it could be from your iWatch that has run an ECG, uh, iWatch yeah. 4 does ECG. So, so then your iPhone knows that, you know, your heart rate is too high. And if you don't calm down, then you're going to have like uh, a problem. So it, it tells you to calm down, right? So yeah. basically it can be from anywhere and it could be, you know, the websites that you're visiting. It could be how much time you spend on your phone, it, it, it can go even beyond that, though, can't it? It can go to, you know, you, you being tracked as an individual in marketing. So you go to a certain shopping center and, and they know that you're actually in the aisle looking at a pair of shoes that you looked at online and then they can send you a voucher, right, for example. Yeah? <laughs> um, potentially, yes. But today you have, um, you have a very strong European uh, laws about yes. uh, data, data protection. <laughs> you do, you do. But it, it just depends, it depends on the, the company, right, and, and their policies and yeah, absolutely. What, you've, what you've signed up for. I mean, I, I block a lot of stuff collecting data on me because I don't want, I don't, and I erase it every day. I make sure I'm very careful with that because I don't want 
loads of personalized adverts trying to persuade me to buy yep. stuff. But other people enjoy that. Other people actually want that because it makes their life easier because they don't have to remember that they looked at a website and they want to buy something because they got interrupted. So it all depends on the individual, right? And absolutely, and what you want. That's the beauty today with technology and data is you can do what feels right to you. Again, we are very protected in Europe. Uh, I mean, if you go to China or whatever, you're not protected at all. They have hundred millions of um, of uh, cameras around yeah. filming all the time in China, you know, and, and you can't say anything. You can't even have access to your data or anything. Mm. Us in Europe, we, we do have access to our data and we can say no if we don't want. As you mentioned, I every night before I go to bed, I actually go to Google My Activity and I delete all my activity. Yeah. Uh, because I don't want I don't want other people to use it. Yeah. If you're fine with it, then obviously the technology is there today that ob- definitely somebody can check where you are and what you do, and they can offer you what you probably don't even know yourself going to that shop you're going to want. Exactly, exactly. But then, but then it's kind of like well, it can kind of mess up with your brain. It's like look, you know, you, we actually need to be using our brains here. So, so let's kind of yeah. let's kind of just keep keep uh, you know perhaps an eye on our phone but let's not let it control our lives let's actually take the time to think ourselves instead of you know letting technology run our lives and that's that's another another story as well isn't it really but can yeah absolutely we've kind of talked quite a lot about how anyone can use big data right but there are many yeah. there are many many ways to use it i suppose it starts off with what what outcome do you want and then you decide what data you need to collect in order to make the outcome happen uh, more seamlessly i mean that's a pretty simple way of explaining it right mhm yeah absolutely no, a very a simple way for a company to put it in place yeah. uh, for any individual like you and i you know, there's no point because you, you really need to get a lot of data. Yeah. But for a company to use it, yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what activities use big data then? Uh, today, it's, it's, it's pretty much everything. I mean, e-commerce uh, uses big data big time, if I could say. Digital marketing, politics, they use big data. The press use big data. Yeah. Insurance banks. The press is using big data, and it's it's pretty recent. What they do is also to ensure that they don't have fake news, right? Uh, because uh, then the, with the big data, you can cross a lot of information coming from a lot of places. And for example, if you see that the source comes always from the same place geographically, then you know to be very careful about the, the information. So the the press is is actually uh, is yeah, is actually pretty recent, but insurance and banks use big data. Uh, let's say that you have a car accident and, uh, you know, the insurance can see that you, you were at the pub just before. It's very likely that you've been drinking or some, things like that. So, so that they could also uh, get the data like this. Obviously, I'm just saying that it's potentially possible. But again, with the, with the, uh, the data protection rights, it's, it's, it will not happen today. Education uses also big data. Human resources, medical. I mean, pretty much... Every single activity that you you see on the on the and it's it's really I, I don't want people to feel that they're scared of uh, when they hear big data when they hear about uh, artificial intelligence it's it's really to improve and again to to uh, optimize resources by getting 
various sources around uh, of data and that, that's why it's important it's true that if it's misused and i think i'm going over probably to the to the to, to, to the questions after but if it's misused it could be potentially very dangerous but with the the laws that we have in place and uh, and the way we're handling it uh, i think it's today it's we see more pros than cons to be honest with you yeah well, I mean, we as consumers want things to be cheap. We want things to be easy. And that's the yeah. only way for us to actually get what we want. So, you know, I think, it, yes. I think you know, there's a, we could talk about this for hours. And I think we, we should at some stage talk about it more. But for now, I yeah. think that's, that's absolutely fantastic. I really appreciate all your time. And if people want to get hold of you, how would they find you, Nicholas? Uh, they can find me on Twitter, NicoChan33, or they can find me on LinkedIn. Oh, and there, there's also an article on Wikipedia. Okay, great. Well, I will. Um, I'll drop a link in there so uh, so everyone can so everyone can contact you. And thank you so yeah, much. That'd be great. That's been that's been You're very really, welcome. Really interesting. Thanks so much for listening. Please subscribe and wherever you prefer, share with your friends. And if you enjoyed the show. Drop us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.